Hey folks, welcome to the Creative Language Learning Podcast with Kirsten Ammers. Hey, hey everybody, welcome to episode lucky 13 of the Creative Language Learning Podcast. My name is Kirsten Hammers and I would like to welcome you to today's episode where we're going to discuss language learning, creative ways of going about it and food, which, you know, maybe that's why I sound so happy today. <laughs> Before I uh, get started, I just wanted to share a little bit of feedback that the podcast has had. We haven't done this since episode six, um, and I don't usually hear an awful lot back that I mention on the podcast. However, I do love it when you follow and give me feedback on Twitter, and my Twitter account is at Kirsten Hammers, that's K-E-R-S-T-I-N-H-A-M-M-E-S. Then we have also been mentioned in the actual news. Uh, Guardian.com, the UK Guardian, a leading newspaper, has published an article called The 10 Podcasts to Help You Learn a Language. Uh, this is written by Lindsay Dow, who you can get to know in episode 7, I think, of this podcast as well. And Lindsay has listed her favorite podcasts to learn a language. And it's a really prolific list. So I'm going to include that in the show notes if you want to check it out. There's the Creative Language Learning Podcast with me, Actual Fluency with our friend Chris Broholm from episode 12, um, the 101, which is really, really good. And there's a few really interesting ones, such as Spanish Obsessed and Slow Chinese, which I'd never heard about. So if you like language learning podcasts and you want to get into language learning podcasts, you should check those out. And moving on to the first part of our podcast today, I want to share with you a very special article of the week. This week's article of the week is about Russian pasta dishes. I found it on the Transparent Language Russian Language blog and it's written by Jenya, uh, who originally grew up in Russia but now lives in New Hampshire. And Jenya talks about the five different types of Russian pasta dishes, um, which are, and I'm trying to read Cyrillic here, pilmini, variniki, manti, Lapsha, Lapsha, and Kliotsky, Kliotsky. <laughs> so <laughs> I do apologize. Um, so those five different types are different kinds of Russian pasta dishes. And I selected this as the article of the week because I thought I'd highlight this for two reasons. Number one, Russian cuisine is not all potatoes and meat, which is great for me to hear because I am a vegetarian. And those uh, variniki, which are a little bit like Polish pierogi, they sound delicious. And I'd love some, please. Um, but secondly, um, it's really wonderful to have articles like this that are just unexpected. You know, Russian pasta, what? And they open our eyes and remind us that not only is the world a big, big place and very, very varied, but also... People really are the same no matter where you go. Whether you are going into the steppes of Kazakhstan or you are going into the heights and mountains of Argentina, you will find that people are very, very similar. And that is an encouraging message for any language learner. Being a language learner has at the heart of it this faith that we want to reach out beyond our current world. We want our world to grow and we want to encounter new perspectives of the world. And if that new perspective is nothing more than, hey look, Russians do pasta too, then I think this is a wonderful first step. So in the very, very small microcosm of your own home, you can bring the whole world into your kitchen. And I think that is wonderful. So just a few ideas and recipes for international cooking. I will share this article which lists the um, pelmeni, variniki, manti, 
Lapsha and Klyotsky. So you can take your choice and cook your favorite Russian dish. Um, I've also researched a few other dishes. Number one, um, this sounds so nice. Um, the Jewish noodle kugel. <laughs> kugel is the German word for ball. Uh, and when you read the recipe, you will realize this is what you're going to be when you've eaten that. It just sounds like a carbohydrate delight. I I, I'm going to make this. This is wonderful. Um, I'm also sharing German Spätzle, which is a southern German pasta dish. Um, and again, very, very different to how you normally think about pasta. Um, but absolutely delicious. And again, German German cuisine, not all potatoes. And the final thing that I am sharing is something that I learned about when I started traveling uh, for business. And I went to the country of Kazakhstan. I've got a big soft spot for Kazakhstan. I like it a lot. Um, Salam Kazakhstan. And in Kazakhstan, one of the national dishes is called Bieshbamak. And Bieshbamak is also a noodle dish with horse meat. So two very, very interesting perspectives there. Um, they also offer a lot of lahman, which is a specific type of noodle, sort of like thick Chinese noodles. Um, and that's a very Central Asian cuisine. And I just found it really wonderful and wanted to share with you this perspective of the world in which pretty much every culture seems to make a food out of flour, water and eggs. Every country's got its own pasta dish from Russia with the pilmeni to Germany with the spätzle. And lo I'd love to hear from you what are your favorite international pasta dishes. And that was our article of the week, so a slightly uh, left field one. And let's get a little bit more serious and let's welcome our wonderful guest. It's the absolutely delightful Becky Morales. I think she's so, so awesome. This is such a nice lady. She's a mother of five children. She lives in Texas. She's bringing them all up bilingually. And Becky has written the, I'm going to have to read this out, the Global Education Toolkit for Elementary Learners, um, which is all about opening the world and making it a bigger place for your children. So if you have children, and even if you don't, I think today's interview is going to be an absolute delight. And without further ado, I'm going to welcome Becky. Hello, Becky. Hello. Uh, do you want to introduce yourself or did I manage to get everything in there about you? No, I think that that was good. We, we're, we have four kids and we're fostering a little baby that we hope to adopt. So five kids. And um, my goal is to help parents and teachers teach their kids about world cultures and global awareness and just to be aware about the world around them. Wow. And Becky, do you speak other languages yourself? I do. I speak Spanish and I can get by in Portuguese. <laughs> I'm not as fluent as I am in Spanish, but Spanish and Portuguese. How did you come to language learning? So when I was in high school, I took, you know, the regular, I was taking Spanish, just like everyone has to do, um, taking the language. And I didn't actually like my teachers, my teacher that much senior year. <laughs> so I dropped out senior year. I didn't take any more Spanish. And when I got to college, they said, well, you don't have enough. You've got to take another year. I was going to be a math major actually. <laughs> and, um, I fell in love with Spanish in college. I just love the way they used it. It was so much more about communication and not about grammar and filling out charts and, you know, kind of the boring aspects of grammar. And yeah. uh, I just loved it. And so I went in and I actually changed my major to Spanish and I got to study abroad. I went to Spain and it just opened my eyes so much to the possibilities and it made it much more fun. And so when I came back from Spain, um, I met my soon-to-be husband, <laughs> ah. um, this guy who was an exchange student from Mexico. And it was like, now you're really going to use the language because he was learning English. I was learning Spanish. So we were really um, practicing our uh, languages. Um, I went to study abroad again. I went to Ecuador this time. And in Ecuador, there were a lot less English speakers. In Spain, you know, you could kind of get by. We had kids in our class from Sweden and from the Netherlands. And English was our, our common language. So we spoke a lot of English. But when I got to Ecuador, it was like, there's no one here that speaks English. You have to really dive in. And it was wonderful and beautiful. And my host family just really helped. Um 
And so I, I just loved it. And so I moved back to the States. And after I graduated from college, I married my boyfriend. And um, we decided that we wanted to raise our children to be bilingual and mm-hmm. trying the best we can. <laughs> That's and, fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, when I was, God, there's so much in there that I want to ask you about. Yeah. And, you know, when I was little, um, I'm pretty bilingual now. I've just um, written an article that's been published in the UK Guardian. And my friend said to me, oh, my God, you've written something published in a foreign language. And I'm like, yes. oh, yeah, it's a foreign language. And I, I've done it for so long now to speak English. And I, But this made me think that when I was sort of maybe 11 or 12 and I learned about, you know, I started my first foreign languages, I dreamed, I was so jealous of kids that grow up bilingually. I dreamed of that. Yes. I was like, bilingualism is just the coolest thing. And God, I wish I was yes. bilingual. And I am bilingual now. But to grow up bilingually, what a gift. Isn't it amazing for kids? I, I keep telling my kids, you're so lucky. <laughs> <laughs> do they appreciate it or do they just, does it, do they find it annoying? They're just, you know, I think they're just neutral. They're like, okay, it's what we do, but it's not, I don't know if they necessarily see an advantage. I, I mean, once in a while when we travel, they think it's cool that they can, you know, order in Spanish or they can, you know, talk to another kid, mm-hmm. but on a day-to-day basis, they're just kind of like, you know, this is just what we do. <laughs> God, yeah, well, that's very, very interesting as well, because, I mean, I, as a language teacher and as a kind of linguist, I think my heart is quite often in the adults learning languages, um, because I just love it when somebody comes back to language learning and they realize it's not too late, and just because I didn't enjoy it in school um, doesn't mean that I can't enjoy it now. So I'm really interested in, in two aspects of that, really, that you mentioned earlier. Number one is what you encountered when you went to university or college, as they call it in America, right? Um, yes. <laughs> and and that is, um, I think, what, what people quite often call this communicative approach. Uh-huh. Yes. It's just so different. And I'm actually, um, I'm a certified high school teacher. Mm-hmm. And so how embarrassing that we always get a bad rap. But um, it's true. But I think that in high school, we do kind of follow this curriculum where we're doing a lot of, you know, grammar and vocabulary, and we're trying to do some communication, but it might not happen as often as we'd like it to. And then um, we get into university, and it's, I did have to take some classes that were specifically for grammar, but a lot of the classes, most of the classes I think were taught by native speakers Mm -hmm. and it was just much more of a communicative aspect. And so I remember this one class, I think it was just called Spanish communication or something, but we really only played games. That's all we did the whole class. And it was like, this is the best. This is so much fun. We played Pictionary and we played Taboo and we played um, just every game you can think of. How wonderful. It was, it was great. And, and we used debates and we used, um, really hot topics in the media. And I think that the people in the class, we weren't at a really, really high level yet, but she just made it be, she actually was not a native speaker too. Remembering back, her name was Holly. Um, but she just made it be so much fun and it was just expected that we only use Spanish and, I just loved it. I remember getting out of that class saying, I just love Spanish. <laughs> God, and what a difference from somebody who yes. from somebody who goes to college and goes, oh, I'm going to be a maths major and languages, yes. you know, that's for other people and I'm not a language person, da, da, da. And then, yes. you know, to get instead be like, yeah, you know, Spanish is great. I'm, I'm traveling to Spain. I'm traveling to Ecuador. My kids are bilingual. You know, yes. language is rule. And I, you hear this so often um, in a lot of, a lot of the kind of, you know, leading polyglot kind of people, you know, like Benny Lewis is a famous person who who came from a completely different background to language learning. Um, Ollie Richards didn't set out to be a language learner who I've spoken to on this podcast. And there's just all these people who didn't really start out as a language person, um, but came to it much later. Um, And I think the approach that we take in high school, in college, and, and just the approach that you take in terms of what you tell people about failure and doing well versus doing not well is a huge part of that. 
Exactly. I mean, literally when I was in Spanish four, Spanish four is pretty grammar intense because you're doing all of these, like I have done this, I had done this before I did this. And there's all these different grammar tenses that you're learning. And I am a very math and science person. I'm just very, I mean, when I, we have a test in the United States called the GRE and it's, um, it measures Mm -hmm. quantitative, um, qualitative, and then language skills, you know, in English and the language. I was so low in <laughs> the math and science. I was so high. I was going back to get my master's in teaching ESL, teaching English as a second language. Mm-hmm. And, um, I just got the minimum to pass into the program. And the, the admissions person that was interviewing me was saying, are you sure you don't want to go into math or science? And I said, no, I've just fallen in love with languages and I love how the brain learns them. And I, I just think it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, and what you do in the GRE is basically regurgitate knowledge that you have crammed into your head before. Yeah, <laughs> which is it, yeah. you know exams are such uh, so many language learning exams. I mean, I think the IELTS is pretty good and the TOEFL because you're actually meant to talk and use your language in those. But yeah. the GRE is a classic. Like, uh-huh. it, oh my god, it's so dead, uh-huh. so dry. It is. It is. And, you know, speaking of the TOEFL, that speaking part that they added in, it's interesting because I had a lot of students who, you know, half my students would be really, really, really great at grammar to the point where when they wrote me an email before I knew them, I would think, wow, they just sound like a native speaker. I can't believe they even need help in speaking. And then when I met them, it was like, oh, the speaking aspect is what you haven't had yet. And then I had the other half of the students that were so great at talking because I kind of learned it on the street maybe. And, you know, kind of in use, they used it. And then their grammar, they said, I just need help with the grammar. I can't pass that portion. But either way, they could get by. It was just, it's fascinating how different people can use the language you know, from what they've practiced mm-hmm. and they could just make themselves be understood. I just love how the different brains work and how we become to be bilingual. I love it. Yeah. And the, I think, I think you're hitting on some level of sort of the, a golden, maybe a golden teaching approach or that I believe in, which is that you have to have the communicative approach in there. Um, number yes. one, because it's fun. And number two, because, you know, otherwise you're never going to use your language. And that's really boring. Um, exactly. And it, it and puts I, people off, but you also need grammar, right? You do need structure. Yes. Yeah. And I think that's, what's so fun about teaching it with kids or just, you know, raising bilingual kids is it's always kind of fun. I mean, everything you do with kids is fun. <laughs> so it's like, <laughs> no, let's play a game or let's do this. Uh, you know, let's watch this movie or let's talk about this. And it just turns into, um, I had this one teacher who I, I had my kids in Mandarin school for a long time wow. and she would always use puppets. And it was like so much fun because she would say the puppets didn't speak English. And so they had to speak to them in Mandarin. And um, I remember my daughter was like three or four and she just thought it was the funniest thing that this puppet was monolingual. (laughs) And so she would just have to, you know, try to say any word, even if it wasn't grammatically correct or anything she knew she would try and say to the puppet. And it was so great. (laughs) Wow. Oh my God. The the puppet is monolingual. Yeah. (laughs) And to even say something, the puppet is monolingual, but I'm not. That's actually really cool, isn't it? so funny. Yeah. This, this teacher was great, but, um, wow. Yeah. But I, I agree. The communicative aspect is just so important. I think, um, yeah, we have to do some structure and kind of, um, use some kind of structure so that the, they're learning new vocabulary, new grammar, but then mm-hmm. right when we move it into the communicative part, that's when you you're using the grammar and it really gets cemented into your brain. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, a lot of the, a lot of the people, it's almost the other side, right? Because when you're teaching kids and when you're working with kids, um, they, they're in a formal institutionalized system. Um, but when you're an adult, a lot of the adults that I kind of write for and talk to on this podcast, um, they want to teach themselves a language and they're sort of, you know, they're past the old, um, they're past the school system and they're sort of really wary of joining a course because they don't want the dryness. Um, but it's, so I almost come from the aspect of saying it's, you, you know, the communicative approach is great and it's great if you want to give yourself a little immersion thing and just like watch a load of YouTube and all that stuff (laughs) and just do Duolingo and Rosetta, but you're never gonna actually really make that much sense of it unless you sit down and, and at some point see how it all hangs together. 
Yeah. Especially Uh as an adult. Exactly. Yeah. Especially as an adult, because we also like to relate it to what we already know. And so, um, if you just can't figure out, you know, I can't, I had someone one time who I was supposed to be teaching a Spanish class only in Spanish and she just could not get what I was talking about when I was using the perfect tenses. And she was just saying, but I, and I don't understand. I was trying to explain it in Spanish over and over. And after the class, I said, I'm just going to explain it to an English. It's like when we say, I have been there, I have yeah. done this. And she was like, Oh, I understand it now. And all of a sudden the next class she came back and she was so excited because she could relate it to what she had learned. And she actually knew French. So it was even easier. And it was so great because I think when you can make that connection, all of a sudden it opens up this huge, you know, takes off the black curtain and you can um, try to use it then in the conversation. And then that's when you really get it in. Yeah. Exactly. And it just, it frustrates me when people say never use your native language in a foreign language lesson, because I think that connection is really valuable. Um, but you know, I don't know, there are different approaches to teaching, but that's, that's certainly not how I work. I like explaining stuff in a way that makes sense to my student. And if my student's language makes sense to them, then so be it. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's hard too, when I'm teaching English and I have so many different languages in the Mm. classroom. And so I I will not use Spanish in the class because it's not fair that the other, you know, students can't understand. But after class, if we want to talk and they want to ask a question and frequently, if I have a student of a language that I don't speak and I don't know the grammar tense. I had this Polish woman. I talked with her afterwards and I, and I wrote the explanation in English and I said, find a friend that speaks English and ask them just to translate this sentence for you. And, and so she went home and she did that. It was just with her husband and he explained it to her. And all of a sudden she came back with this big smile and she goes, I know what you're talking about now. <laughs> and it was I mean, like, we can move on now. <laughs> as an instructor, as somebody who teaches, it's not the best moment when somebody goes, you know, just, just, I, I say, I always say when, when grammar face, you know, grammar face, you say something about grammar and you, people just don't get it. And it's yeah. just so, it makes you feel so powerless and yeah. you just want to help them. And then they get that moment when they go, Oh, I get it. It's just like, yes. <laughs> So joys of teaching. <laughs> it's so great with adults too, because mm-hmm. you know that it's going to, you know, you got to put in some hard work and it's going to take some time to, to grasp some of the harder things. And so when they do get it and it's like, they kind of get a little more confidence and maybe we'll start speaking a little more because they finally yeah. got this hard, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to learn something new and to really master it and to feel like I got it. <laughs> There's a really interesting question that arises from that about children versus adults, which is, I think, one of the themes that really I I would love to discuss with you. Um, And that is in in adults, there is that moment, you know, when you get something, when you speak, when you get over a hump, um, there is confidence and there's a boost that you get from that. And adults, I think, are really, really aware that they have a challenge ahead of them. And so they really get that reward from mastering the challenge. But are children the same or do they just approach it? You know, it's funny because I think that kids are, you know, their job in life at the moment is kind of to play and to go to school and to learn something. And so they're kind of just like, I think they most take it just like they're going to learn math or they're going to learn, you know, a spelling word. It's just like another thing that they have to learn. Um, I think when you make it fun, they don't even realize they're learning it. It, I don't know if they get as much joy as the adults get Mm -hmm. when we finally can see something. I think they just kind of take it in stride like, you know, now I know how to say this, the colors in Spanish, and now I know how to do this. And for them, it's just like another skill. I don't know if they celebrate it as much as we do. Yeah. And I think for them, it's also, they don't set out to do that. Whereas adults, they're so like a lot of my adult learners and especially self-teaching adults are very achievement driven. So they really want, they want to get something out of this. And if this doesn't feel like it's delivering in three months, then, you know, I'm doing it wrong, blah, blah, blah. And it's, it's that, you know, sort of, there's a real result that has to be achieved. Yes. I think that you're completely correct. I think that adults have this goal and they want to do this by January and they want to do this by June. And, and, um, and sometimes that can kind of get in the way. Cause it's mm-hmm. like, 
sometimes language takes a little longer. Sometimes you learn it a little faster. And it also depends. It's directly related to how much you're using it. So if you're only going to class, you know, an hour a week, you're not going to be totally fluent by January or whatever your goal was. But I think kids don't even look at it like that. I don't even think they know the concept of being completely fluent. It's just kind of like, oh, you know, my my little nieces are learning um, Spanish in preschool. And they'll just tell me at Christmas time, they say, oh, now I know how to say the colors and the numbers. And I can say this in Spanish. And I ask them their names in Spanish and they can answer. And then they just kind of move on to the next toy or the next thing that we're talking about. <laughs> But it's it's really cute, though. I think that kids also, if they're really using it as a communicative, you know, maybe they're immersed in the environment or um, they're really learning it in a communicative way, it's a little bit kind of like survival. Like if they've just moved, I have a friend who is Taiwanese, but they just, they're from the U.S. and they just moved to Ecuador. And she was speaking with her kids and she's learning Spanish, too. Okay, so she's setting out because she's going to learn Spanish because they live there, Mm -hmm. and her kids are just in a bilingual school. You know, they they don't know how long they're going to be in Ecuador, so they're just kind of going along. Well, at recess, they're learning so much Spanish, even more than um, sometimes in their Spanish class. And they come home and they translate for their mom, and it's so exciting for them because they said, oh, today we got to play soccer, and I knew what they were saying, and I got to do this. And the mom is saying, well, today I had to learn how to say this for the supermarket, and I, I learned this vocabulary word. It's kind of different purposes, but at the same time, it's the same. They both just want to survive in this new land, you know, in their new language. But it's just, it's just so fascinating how the kids, it's just fun and they're playing at recess and they don't even think about how deliberate they're, they have to be to learn it. Yeah. And there's that, and again, that, that joy that comes out of it is just that like, oh my God, now I know how to say this. And yeah, that is something I want to preserve and I want to instill in every language learner, including adults. And I think kids have that so much more than adults. Yes. So a big theory or a big, um, say, myth in language learning. And I have I have sort of read, um, you know, the, the, the kind of or researched researched the research on this um, is this this idea of the ideal language learning age or something like that. So that you you hit this, you hit, say, age seven. And after that, you just know, you know, pronunciation is just not easy, easy to learn. And, and, you know, all this stuff. And from what has been uh, put out in research is there are scholars who have put out this theory and said, yeah, kids are better at language learning. Adults are never going to be as good, but that has never been actually proven in the field. And there are no studies actually proving this, but what is your impression? Do you think there's an ideal language learning age or something? You know, it's like, we're taught that in school, that there's this, you know, critical age to learn languages and um, critical age, you know, age to become bilingual. And we're always taught that. But I think that in my own experience, I really, I mean, I learned a little bit of Spanish in high school. I was 14, 15, and then 16. But then I really didn't learn it until I was in university and I was studying abroad. And I'm frequently told I sound like a native speaker. So I don't know if there really is. I think if you work at it and you really, you consciously listen and you're um, really trying to work on the different sounds that might be different from your native language, I think that you can be a great language learner. I don't know that there's, I mean, maybe it's easier and faster if you're younger, but I don't think that it's impossible when you're older because, um, I don't know. I didn't really learn it until university. And I'm, if, if I'm on the phone, people say, people think that I'm a native speaker. I mean, I'm sure that I make mistakes and I'm sure that there's, you know, my accent comes out, but I think that that has a lot of weight that, I think that it gives a lot of hope to adult learners that it's it's not only the little kids that become that can become bilingual. Mm, I agree. And I mean, too, like I said earlier, I I am bilingual, um, and I never learned a word of English before I was ten. That was when I had yeah. my first English lesson, and you know now I'm I'm just past thirty. Absolutely, one. <laughs> but um, I I don't speak German every day. My fiance is English, um, and I just. English comes almost more naturally to me than German most days. I have to, you know, I have to switch. Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, someone said that Henry Kissinger had an accent and they were saying, well, he could have gotten rid of it if it was of use to him to really have um, 
an you know American or British accent, but he it was kind of prestigious to keep his accent. And I think that they were showing um, different examples of different adults who had started learning English at a later age, and some of them consciously you know paid attention to the R's and the U's and the THs or whatever um, phonemes they didn't have in their first language, and they really could sound like a native speaker if they really, you know, paid attention. And I think that that's true. I think, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, when I'm learning Chinese, I wasn't putting a lot of effort into the different tones. It's a tonal language and you really have to, but other people in my class really were. And the teacher would constantly be complimenting them saying, you know, you said that perfectly. And they said, well, I went home and I listened to it a hundred times. And, you know, I really was paying attention. I thought, wow, that's, if you have that kind of dedication, you really can do it. You just have to have the time and the dedication and, you know, to be a good listener, a lot of it has to do with how you're listening. And it's amazing. I think that it's incredible what we can do. Yeah. And I think, I think pointing out that, I I mean, I've, I've written a whole like little book, Fluency Made Achievable, about core skills. But I think it's really important to point out that there are actually four skills in language, Um, you know, listening, speaking, reading and writing. And they have to all play together. And for example, if you don't listen right uh, and you just go speak, 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 uh, you don't, you know, that's a different, that's a way to get functional quickly which uh-huh. is what a lot of people aim for. And, you know, that if that's your definition of fluency, then you are fluent. But <laughs> if you want to sort of get to, like, bilingual stage, which is much, much more intense and doesn't, I think, you've got to, what, five years, ten years? It's, it's, it's about yeah. becoming not just bilingual, because I think you'll, you'll echo this. There are other ways of communicating, interrupting, um, different speaking conventions. So Uh I will still be a German if I don't know how Brits talk to each other, because I will say stuff that Brits think are incredibly rude, for example. Yes. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Exactly. I will just be really direct when they aren't really direct. That is so fascinating. I took a whole class on these kind of nuances and Mm -hmm. we read this whole book on politeness and it's so true. And included in politeness is like requests and um, promises. Oh my God. Yeah. I did that in my master's translation studies master's. I loved it. It is so interesting. I mean, the promises, not when I say I promise I'm going to meet you on Skype tomorrow at, you know, 5am. It's more like, um, I'll see you at the gym today. You know, these unspoken, like, are you really going to see her at the gym? Or are you just saying that to be polite? So it's fascinating. It's fascinating. That's one of my big, um, my husband and I have this, like, we talk about our different cultures and in English, I I tell him when you say you're going to do something, like if you say, I'll get that email to you or, you know, I'll see you then, or yeah, we'll come you that's, like a promise. I mean, we really mean that we're going to do that. And if you say, I might come, I might be able to do it. All of a sudden you change the whole, the whole meaning of the sentence. And so in Spanish, when you say probably, it actually means maybe. <laughs> and so you can't just translate it. You can't just learn the word probablemente and think that it means I, I will really be there. It, mm-hmm. it And so it's like, even though you're using the definitions and you're, you know, using your dictionary to find out what it means, you can't just translate. You have to know the underlying meaning of the sentences that you're saying. And you can only do that from speaking with native speakers, from really paying attention and listening to how they speak with each other and how they speak with you. I mean, there's all these little hidden messages that we're giving um, by our word choices and our tone that you can't really learn just from reading a dictionary or, you know, direct translation. And I remember, I mean, this is, this is also a really important thing to point out that native speakers are your, are a good language practice partner, not because they are the only people who possibly could speak the language really well, because that's not true. And to learn the technical skill, you don't really need a native speaker. It might actually help to have somebody who understands your problems of your core language or that your starting language. But the native speaker is the person that actually, or the native speakers, and they actually know how lots of people talk to each other in that language. Yeah, because there's really infinite possibilities. I used to give my students kind of homework, quote unquote, when they would go home, and I would say, 
this was um, immigrants learning English in the United States. Mm-hmm. And I would say, okay, your job tonight or this weekend, you need to go to the deli and you need to order some, you know, ham and some turkey. <laughs> and, and it was like, the reason is, is I can tell you what they might say. They might say, how much do you want? How do you want it sliced? Mm-hmm. And I said, but there's an infinite possibilities of what they're really going to tell you. <laughs> you know, they might just say, you know, one time this woman said, they asked me if I wanted a one or a two. And it was the, how thick the slices were, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and it was, um, it's funny because that's when you're going to get those little underlying messages that are hidden in the way that we say things or the tone or. God, I remember the amounts of times that people have said to me, eat here or take away. And I just never understood what on earth that meant. And I just like, really, I have, I remember this up to five years of living in England, eat here or take away. And I'd be like, sorry, what, what are you, what are you saying? Do you want to eat it here or do you want to take it with you? Oh, oh, oh. And it's just, it's partly also because you don't expect that question at that time, even though it's because you've already, you know, you've already made up your mind. Oh, I don't know. It's just the, yeah, live conversations in the real environment. And um, then we're getting into travel as well is, is, it's a whole new challenge. And, you know, it, it is, you've got to get out into the wild eventually. Yes. Yes. Is there that, a way of not, is there a way of doing it without travel? Do you think? I think that I've heard these little startups where you can Skype with someone from another language to practice. Yeah, yeah. And I think that that's so great. I mean, the, the, the one I just saw on Facebook a couple months ago was, did you ever see um, these Brazilian teenagers were Skyping with elderly people in the United States to oh practice English? Oh my God, English? it's heartbreaking. It's so wonderful, it, that video. It was like, oh, I love this. But yeah. it was so I'll, I'll put the link in the show notes to that so people can really enjoy it. Yes. It was so great because I thought, well, this is perfect because the the people in the U.S. were very patient and they were speaking slowly and they were really interested, really keen on having a conversation um, with these kids in Brazil. And the Brazilians were so excited to practice their English mm-hmm. and they were really interested in what was going on too. It was just like the perfect match and what a great opportunity for both of them to have this conversation. And they learned so much. They were laughing <laughs> and it was... Yeah, I love that video. But I think that there's a lot of those opportunities starting to come up. Um, I can't think of any of the names right now. There is, um, I mean, Italki is the big one. Italki is a big yes. website that offers language exchanges. There's also Interpals that a lot of people use. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and there are a few others. But Italki, I would say, is, is sort of coming up as the as the leader really. But really, if you just Google for language exchanges, yeah. I think Reddit language learning area also uh-huh, has uh-huh. a really cool chat um because i really enjoy reddit's language learning area and they have a chat room where you can just go and try the f- different stuff out but and, and for people who are not on computers there's a lot of opportunities um we have at, at every major city i've been in major universities obviously they're going to have like a study abroad program or yes. an international student office. And so frequently what they'll have is you can go in there and say, you know, I'm living here. I'm happy to host an exchange student. Hosting doesn't mean at that point, it doesn't mean that they're going to be living in your house. But for example, we have a couple students that were friends quote unquote with at Rice University here in Houston. And we meet with them a couple of times a semester and we have them over to our house for dinner or we might meet with them at the zoo or, um, you know, take them trick or treating for Halloween, something like that. And we get together and we, we're just doing it because we want to learn about other cultures, but it's also a really good language learning opportunity because you can request, um, for example, we requested a Chinese student because my son is Chinese and we requested Ethiopian. They didn't have any that were signed up, but they gave us a Kenyan student because yeah, we wanted to learn, you know, have our son have a positive role model and, and it was really fun, but you can request a certain language. Like if you're learning Spanish, you could say, could you match me up with a student that speaks Spanish? And, um, just for fun, it's not like they're going to sit down and teach you a grammar lesson, but as you're going over dinner, you can say, Hey, can, you know, can we speak a little Spanish together? And it's, it's great for the student because they kind of, a lot of them are homesick and they, you know, they miss their families and it's a great opportunity for them to be in a loving family and see how Americans live or wherever you are. And it's great because you can practice a little language and, Frequently, you just develop a relationship with a student and it turns into something that, you know, you can get together for coffee and have a little language chat. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's a great idea. And I didn't know actually that 
at least in the USA, if you say you want to host or you say you want to get involved, um, that they'll still match you up with somebody and you can just become their cultural buddy, uh-huh. which yeah. is just wonderful. So that's a really strong recommendation. And you are right. I mean, even in the city where I live, Lancaster, which is not very big um, and not a leading UK city, really. Uh, we have a monthly language exchange, which is, yeah. it's called the Language Cafe, and it's almost like you go to the pub, and there's a table with a little French flag, a table with a little Spanish flag, Italian, and there'll just be all the learners and a few native speakers of that language just to practice. Um, that is so great. And it's that awesome, is- yeah. And we have an international yeah. student society. Yeah, exactly. And you don't need to, um, you know, travel, and you're still talking with native speakers. And the mm-hmm. best part, I think that... Um, any student that's leaving their country and coming to another country to live, they're going to be so open and so excited to share their culture and to learn about their host culture wherever they're studying. It's just like a match made in heaven sometimes because you're both so interested. It's not just like a random person, you know, on the street. You're both interested in cultures and languages and opening up and sharing that it just, it works so often. It's very successful. Mm-hmm. Oh gosh, that's that's delightful. I think, and thank you so much for sharing that tip because that's, I think, really, really valuable tip. Yeah. I mean, you could even, God, you could even do it within a country. So, like, can I, you know, if you live in New York, can I host a student from Arkansas? Because <laughs> yeah. it's still, it's about discovering culture. Yeah, 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 yeah. I want a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Okay. Right. Um, as we're coming to the end of our interview, I, I need to talk to you about your main mission and project. Tell me a little bit about Kid World Citizen. Sure. So Kid World Citizen is a website that I started originally to help adoptive families like our family um, incorporate birth culture with their children so that they could learn about their heritage and have pride. And um, I just started putting up activities related to the cultures that were in our family, which my husband is from Mexico. My son is from China. My other son is from Ethiopia. And I was sharing with other adoptive families and it kind of grew. I would get emails saying, well, you didn't, you don't have anything about Chile up there. And I was like, okay, well, let me research and I'll put something up. And well, I want to learn something about Kenya. Like, okay, well, let me look something up. So it it kind of grew into for all families who are interested in teaching their kids about the world and having cultural awareness and, you know, language activities and recipes, um, kind of world recipes that kids would like and doing multicultural crafts or art projects and, and what kind of literature they can read to learn about the world. And so it kind of slowly grew into this big project where hopefully it's, um, a resource for parents and teachers who are looking for ways to incorporate culture on a daily basis to get their kids excited to learn about the world. Mm-hmm. Okay, tell me the tell me the website address. So it is kidworldcitizen.org. But mm-hmm. the global education toolkit for elementary learners is written by myself and by Homa Tavangar, and she also wrote another great book called Growing Up Global, which is fascinating. And um, the Uh, Global Education Toolkit is very specific, practical ways that you can engage in global learning with your kids or with your students. It's really helpful for parents. I mean, you can be living in the middle of nowhere with no other cultures around, and this book will tell you how you can start to either look online in the library, um, at your community center, for opportunities for your kids to learn about different countries and different cultures. And we give so many websites and so many clubs... um, There's something called the worldwide exchange where you're sending little packages from your hometown and you exchange it with another um, family in the middle of Uganda or wherever. And you kind of send little packages back and forth. Um, There's a global read aloud where you go online and you all read the same children's book during the same month. And then you get to discuss it and you can pick if you want to discuss it on Twitter, on the phone, in email, in a regular letter, however you want to discuss it, but you're reading the same book. There's just all all these fascinating ways. And, um, a lot of them, I'm thinking back, both of these could be language exchanges as well, because it doesn't say what language you need to be doing this in. Um, and it just fascinating ways that you can create opportunities for your kids and students to engage in kids from around the world, Mm -hmm. because in all of these ways, they're going to be learning different perspectives and learning how to cross-culturally communicate with someone from a different language and how you can um, negotiate meeting and how you can um, take action on a, you know, some of them are environmental or human rights issues, how you can take action 
even though you're eight years old and you're living in the middle of Iowa, you know, how you can participate in this global community because we're so interconnected. And I think that the only way our kids will be successful in the world is if they're able to look beyond their small, small community where they're growing up. Mm -hmm. I think that is so true. And I think for everybody who is a parent or a grandparent, or, I mean, I'm an, I'm an auntie of two little, um, (laughs) my two little nephews I can just really recommend it and I just hope that you you follow up your elementary learner's guide with something for teenagers and perhaps something for adults as well and it's literally like how to grow your world and bring that sense of fun to everybody of any age yes it is in the works it is in the works oh that's so (laughs) awesome that's so awesome got to bring you back when you you know when that comes out let me know because I do want to celebrate it (laughs) okay right there is there is a final thing that I always do on this podcast and that's called the tips of the week um and when I have a guest um I, I want to use you a little bit for helping me out with these tips of the week so what I've done is I've researched three different language learning tips uh, we've got creative ways of, of going about your language learning and the guest gets to tip gets to choose the tip of the week so you pick your favorite perfect okay uh so let's go into the tips of the week tip number one is to diy your memorize courses you might be familiar with using memorize which is a flashcard app you could also do this with anki another flashcard app um and instead of using the pre-made courses on the platform Make sure you DIY your courses, make your own notes and add words that you have actually been learning this week so that you can remember them better and you remember where you learned them. Tip number two, start with pronunciation. Further to my language book club discussion with Gabriel Weiner, um, there, we, there was a lot of emphasis on starting your language learning with making sure you get the pronunciation right so that you can understand the spelling, you can remember the words better, and they instantly have meaning to you. So make sure that you understand and listen very early in the process. And tip number three is incorporate all the senses into your vocab learning habits. And this is from a a Max Planck Institute, German Max Planck Institute research, which has been quoted in Science Daily. And this research looked into the benefits of remembering vocabulary when you start being multisensory in the way that you learn it. So, for example, you could um, use the motoric, is that part? Is that called? Use the motoric motoric part of the brain Uh um, by taking different movements or you could associate a sense of smell with a specific word um, and just really make sure that you're including all the senses in your vocab learning habits on a regular basis so number one diy your memorized courses number two start with pronunciation and number three incorporate all the senses what do you think becky Mm, they're all so great. I do all of them, but I love number one because I think that it makes it relevant. And if you're using it, it's really going to cement it into your brain. I love that one. I love it. Excellent. So that will be our tip of the week, people. Um, as you go into memorize courses, Anki courses, etc., don't just take whatever the course puts in front of you, but start making your own courses, making yes. your own notes. And I couldn't agree with that more. I love that. I think that is so perfect. It's and and you're you're personalizing it for what you need to be learning. So if you're, you know, if if you're a housewife and you need to learn all different kind of vocabulary versus if you're working in the business world and you need to learn finance vocabulary, I just think that's perfect. Yes, excellent. Gosh, that is a really really good point. So you do need to personalize it and that's also a way of just not feeling quite so overwhelmed by this sort uh-huh. of crazy idea of I need to be fluent in a language in, in every single aspect um, and fluent because fluent doesn't mean perfect. Um, and even bilingual doesn't mean perfect as Becky and I were discussing right. earlier. So, you know, just go with what you need for yourself. So Becky, kidworldcitizen.org and yes. the book is called The Global Education Toolkit for Elementary Learners. The Global Education Toolkit for Elementary Learners. (laughs) Uh, And I couldn't recommend Becky's work enough. And the website is awesome. And it's just, I really enjoy talking to you. You have such joy and belief in in what you're doing. So thank you so much for your time, Becky. Thank you, too. This was so much fun. Thank you. (laughs) No problem. 
All right, that was it for episode 13 of the Creative Language Learning Podcast. Thank you so much for listening, guys. I always really appreciate it. And I hope you enjoyed my ramblings about food and Becky's extremely interesting and wonderful insights on pronunciation, language learning, politeness, and just how language is used. I think there was so much to get out of that interview. And I really hope it gave you a lot of... Um, just useful information that's going to help you learn a language and just set yourself the most realistic goals that you can. Take a little bit of that joy that kids have and bring it into your own life. Just before I go, let me make you aware that there is a Patreon campaign running, as always, for language learning motivation week by week. If you love Fluent and you want to support me, um, because Fluent at this stage is a one-woman operation, um, and I do as much as I can to help you guys learn languages and help you with tips, articles, podcasts, interviews, and all that good stuff. It, all you need to do to support me is go to patreon.com, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash fluent language and you can support the podcast and blog with as little as a dollar per month and new bonus materials and exclusive access and worksheets and most importantly the episodes of the podcast are always going to be available to you first before the blog readers, if you like early access to my podcasts, that's the place to go. Patreon.com slash fluent language. At this stage, the support that we have is from one patron with $1 a month. And that is amazing, but I'm sure we can triple that for the next month. So help me reach this goal. Um, come and join me on Patreon and let's have some fun together. That's it for episode 13. Thanks for listening to the Creative Language Learning Podcast, guys. Don't forget to subscribe and to rate the podcast in iTunes or on Stitcher. That's always very much appreciated. If you have any feedback or you've got any questions, you can email me, Kirsten, K-E-R-S-T-I-N, at fluentlanguage.co.uk, or you can find me on Facebook, Fluent Language Tuition, or on Twitter, at Kirsten Hammers, that is K-E-R-S-T-I-N-H-A-M-M-E-S. -M -M -E 